in the right place. This is the show where we believe in you. We believe that thriving is your birthright and we believe in a brighter future for everyone, especially our teens. So to help me talk with you about that, we're gonna be having a discussion with Elliot Kalin and we're gonna talk about teens for a brighter day. This is something you're gonna to wanna to know about even if the teen in your life is taller than you and, and older than you could ever imagine. This is a conversation worth having. So Elliot, please join me in the studio and let's get this all started. Oh my goodness, I am so happy to see you. Great to be here, Jackie, thank you. It is so much fun. All right. You're doing a great show. Well, thank you. I, I do love this. And what I love most about it is that it has led me to get to know people like you. Thank you. Teens for a brighter day. I'm all about it. I am all about teens being engaged in the world in a way that changes the world. But Elliot, you're not like, you know, a youth counselor. You know, let's, let's let you introduce yourself as who you would introduce yourself as, and then we'll go down the road. Okay, thank you. Well, in my real job, I own a financial advisory company. But on my side job, I'm president of our charity called A Brighter Day. I'm sure I'll tell you about it in a moment. But what we do is we use music as a, a unifier to unite stress and depression resources with, tan, with teens, excuse me, using teen talent showcases in this virtual world, previously teenage band showcases, but we can't, in California here, we can't connect uh, and have groups. So teen talent showcases that we're about to take national. So we're very excited about that. And in a quick four years, we've already touched more than 2,000 lives. Wow, that's awesome. Awesome. All right, so, so let's talk about the teen talent showcases that are coming. When it comes to gathering teens together, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome to get this all up and running? And I mean, I'm not talking about taking it virtual. I'm talking about getting it started. Well, what we're trying to do is touch people. So if I could just take a moment and tell you the, how the charity came about, and then it would make more sense about how the showcase works. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. So five years ago, Jackie, sadly, my son at the University of Montana, a sophomore, age 19, committed suicide. He walked or jogged up to the highway, waited for a truck to come by and jumped in front of a truck. And all day long that day, we were frantic because his phone was turned off. No drugs, no alcohol, and the parents not knowing what was going on. And at about six o'clock at night, a FedEx driver showed up with a suicide note. He'd already been dead since almost 1.45 in the morning. He was a John Doe. And in that note, Jackie, it said, a six-page note, but the first paragraph was the main paragraph. And it said, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I never would have asked for your help, and I never would have taken your help. And so I read that back and forth to Montana as we went to get his body and bring it back for burial. I must have read that note a hundred times, particularly that paragraph. And I thought, oh my goodness, we're going to be victims of this our entire life, forever. How many other parents are feeling this way? How many other parents don't know that their teens could be ticking time bombs? 
Yep. And so we decided let's start a charity and make a difference, not for the teens that are telling their parents, mom and dad, I'm feeling sad, I'm going to hurt myself, but I'm feeling fine, mom and dad, but they're not. And so we started a, a brighter day and we be, thought, what would unite teens with resources, so many resources are out there on stress and depression and stopping suicide? What would do that? And we first thought about sports and we realized it's not sports. What all teens have in common is music. Their music, not my music. <laughs> well, you said a mouthful there. So we started to do live teenage band showcases where we would have teen bands playing for teens free and the winning team, the, the, we would have a drawing there and that team would receive a thousand dollar scholarship to college. Began to work out books for college, college, whatever is used for. We changed that around a little bit and we created an essay program for that, but we kept the teen showcases going. And we had several thousand people come to these showcases in our first few years. And we gave each one of them a backpack, you know, these string backpacks, yeah. you've seen people with them. We had them filled with resources on stress and depression. In the beginning, those resources were about that thick. Today, they're just a handful of pages because that's all anybody will read nowadays. And we <laughs> handed those out for free. And we've touched about 2000 teens and a handful of parents with these backpacks with resources. But this year we went virtual because we're all in lockdown. I'm in Northern California. Northern California feels like it's in prison at this point. And so we created a teen talent showcase, much like America's Got Talent, but for teens. It could be music, it could be juggling, it could be magic, it could be whatever is considered a, a talent of the team, where the talent would upload their favorite talent to the website. We have professional judges, 35 judges that look at these, they, they pick from the list that we're getting, which could be 30 acts to 300 acts per town. And then the judges pick the top 10. They all go out on YouTube. Everybody that's entered gets these resources. We call the teen toolbox, teen survival toolbox. They receive these. And then the winner of this goes from 30 or 50 to 10 to the top three to one. And the winner gets a thousand dollar scholarship towards college or to pay for books or necessities for themselves. Cool. So teens are finding out about this through towns. Is that what you said? It's yes, sir. towns, departments of recs, um, youth foundations and high schools are all putting the word out for us. It's free to enter. We fundraise totally separately. So these are all free. Uh, Got it. And then, you know, there's only an upside to it. Even college counselors are asking us, how does this work? Because we want our kids hearing about it. So that's really, really cool. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to take it on two different tracks here. The point is to engage teens so that they have the awareness and the resources. Did I get it? You got it right. Okay. So, so that's the point of the events. Um, given that I organize this show, I can only imagine the resources and in, in the form of time, talent, and treasure that it takes to put on one of these showcases. So you do your fundraising for the nonprofit separately. I want to know about that as well, but first I want to know about the impact this is having in the world. 
we know the numbers that you've given the backpacks too. Do you get any stories back from the kids who get the backpacks? You know, I've gotten a number of calls, but I've got three letters on my credenza here. Two of them from parents that said, thank you for saving my child's life. And one of them from a teen that said, thank you for saving my life. And it was very interesting. I got a phone call one day from a friend of mine who had just been to the cemetery where my son is buried in Lafayette, California, and said, you need to go to the cemetery. There's a young lady sitting on your son's grave. And so I drove up there immediately and talked to her. And she was at one of our concerts. And she said, I heard the story of your son and I was going to commit suicide. And I've decided based on your story, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I have more to live for. And I don't wanna to do to your family what's been done to you. I thought about it. And so we are saving lives. Uh, plus we're giving out free resources to people to get some help. We know teens, when they're depressed, Jackie, are not going to tell their parents and they're not going to do this during daylight and they probably won't tell their, their friends. So we've given them places to go to get immediate help, to get texting help within 15 minutes, get a text back. Uh, we're now in the process of creating our own network of counselors and psychologists that would help out families and teens in crisis. We just started working on that project and we hope to do that across the country at some point. So we're trying to have an impact on a crisis moment or teens turning around and saying, you know, yesterday was dark, today's darker, tomorrow's gonna to be even darker. Why bother? And am I the only one feeling this way? And that's the crisis we want to avert. Having lived through this journey and being very lucky and that my daughter survived, the power of what you're doing, Brad, the numbers of people that you're reaching and the clarity you have around what it's going to take to get teens to be part of this conversation is absolutely awe-inspiring for me. Um, you know, you've been at this for years now and it shows that you've learned a lot along the way. What was the hardest lesson beyond, I mean, granted what started all of this was something I can't comprehend, but once you got the ball, this idea, what was the, the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in putting this together? Well, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely amazing. It's the apathy from high school principals that was, has still continued to be our great challenge. High school principals have basically told us if it doesn't happen on their campus, they don't really care. Their job is to get them to graduate. They're, they're not worried about mental well-being. They're worried about can I get them to graduate? Can I get my money from the state? How many kids are showing up on time? Who's late for class? All the things that necessarily don't matter have some impact on money, but principals have in a, in a way their apathy, and it's not just one or two, but their apathy across the board has been awful. And so you would think they would care the most and they do care, but they care about what affects them directly, not what affects them indirectly. That's I mean, I, I, I guess I'm stuttering because I'm going, ah, who would have thought? You know, I have teachers, especially retired teachers who volunteer in our advocate program. You know, they, they take the training, they, they have the conversations. And so the concept that a principal would 
not just latch onto this. I mean, if a principal embraced this, Elliot, what would they do? What would be the ideal response and relationship between your organization and a principal? You know, because we're now virtual, we can do these virtual backpacks, this team talent backpacks with resources mm -hmm. for free to everybody at that school. There's no ad, there's no advertising on it. Mm -hmm. It's just, here are some things if you're feeling a certain way, to, what to do. That never leaves the door with most principals. They're not interested in that. So what could happen is the ideal relationship is that a principal would say, would open the door and say, come on in. And then what would need to happen to get those resources to the kids? They have a way of getting them out. They have school intranets that go out to kids and that go out to parents. They don't need me for that. I could just give them the toolbox. Some principals have been really good about this and very supportive, okay. but many of them don't care. And I don't want to say don't care because they care about their kids, but only how it directly affects them and their budgets. So the, the reality is that not every principal has taken the next step and gotten the information to their students. And the power of this at every level, we don't know what the impact would be, but it would be lovely to just find out from the principals who have embraced this, what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Um, because sometimes the peer report from one principal might impact another, but that's the only thought I've got on that topic because I am still in shock at the fact that that's the biggest challenge is that level of responsiveness at the education level. Well, I'll tell you two quick stories or a quick story about two principals in the same, uh, the same uh, district mm -hmm. here in California. So in the same year, a student committed suicide at each one of these high schools. The first principal decided to not tell the students what happened for 48 hours. She kept it to herself. I don't know if the parents requested that or not, but nobody knew. Of course, every student knew what was really going on, but the, the school was bum on the whole subject. And so the rumors were allowed to fly. The phone calls to the family were allowed to happen. And instead of addressing suicide as this is a problem, they just said, we're going to make believe that child died for other causes. The other principal put out a notice that day that we have sad news. You know, this, this child passed away by hanging themselves in the park. And it's awful. And we want to have a vigil this Friday. And the, the principal came to us and we handed out resources and backpacks to everybody at that vigil, which were about 300. Totally different way of looking at it. They, they both cared, but they both cared in very different ways. We really make a lot of assumptions about people's emotional resilience backpacks and their ability to respond because we don't know what training or what background those two principals have that allowed them or gave them those, those triggers. But wow, what a difference. And so... What, if you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something I haven't done. You know, Elliot, if you were going to make an appeal to educators, what would you want them to know? I would talk about the mental health of children, that it's not about physical health, 
alone. It's not about getting the flu or COVID or getting six feet away, as we all try to do nowadays, or keep the parents healthy and so forth and so on. But what about the mental health of these teens? You know, in a recent survey here in Northern California, almost 40% of all high school seniors in one particular district said they have considered suicide at least one time in high school. 40%. I'm not sure what that word considered means, but that's still too big of a number. Oh. And so they're not thinking about that. And they need to think about that because, you know, depression doesn't start necessarily when you're 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever. It starts when you're younger and it just slowly manifests and grows. And we need to put as much emphasis as teens' well-being, building self-esteem back up in teens and helping them grow, not just physically and certainly not just academically, but emotionally and health-wise. There's a lot of that out there. And it's just because it doesn't really make any money for high school, it takes a backseat to everything else. Well, I get that money is one lens that really impacts the world when we look at how, and as I was just having that conversation in an earlier episode about how suicide prevention in general is the least funded among the uh, programs that are funded in this country. And I don't know if that's true around the world, but in this country, we know that suicide prevention, stress management is not considered fundable in that it's not measurable because it can't measure a negative. And this is what I ran into in my own work as a stress management consultant over the decades is because you can't measure it. You know, they can't tell me that you prevented something because there's no way to know if it would have happened without the intervention or without this. So it's hard. We're in a tough time because if you can't measure it, it's hard to, to get buy-in for funding. And you've managed though to do that because you found the part that's measurable. And the part that's measurable is how many people have downloaded this? How many backpacks have we given out? How many people have come to our concerts? How many people, how many teens have applied to be part of one of the bands? You've built up a statistical universe of impact. And I just want to um, congratulate you for that because that's huge. Let's take and go, what has the power of that been for you? Because you said you do your fundraising separately. How do you do, how do, you do your fundraising? Well, we live in an interesting times and challenging times. So, you know, unfortunately, money is the mother's milk of all charity. And we need that to operate. Mm -hmm. And so originally we did for many years, we did a golf outing. And the first year we actually invited, we had 60 golfers there. We paid for them. They were free. And my wife and I underwrote the golf tournament. And so the golf tournament made a little bit of money on donations only because it had no expenses. In the second year, we sold tickets and we got about 113 golfers. In the third year, we had 150 golfers. So it was growing. And then the fourth year, about 144, which is technically sold out. And then COVID hit. So golf was canceled this year. And But we decided to go with a virtual auction for the first time. We raised six figures on a virtual auction. Now for this coming year, we've got a virtual auction planned, a golf outing planned, and a wine outing planned just for adults where they have the opportunity to donate. And that's the virtual auction allows us to go national. 
The wide outing, of course, doesn't, but the virtual auction does. And we're hoping that we could take this across state lines, just out of here in California, but across state lines, because the program can be done anywhere around the country simultaneously because so much of it now is virtual. Yeah, that's what I was wondering is that the, I'm gonna call it the blessing in the COVID is that we've stopped being geographically limited in our impact. And I can see where this could be hugely shifting what you're doing. Um, what keeps you going, Elliot? Because this is no small undertaking. I mean, you, this is not your primary job. This is not what you do 40 hours a week. You have that primary thing that I'm going to assume was not so traditionally 40 hours a week in and of itself. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm very thankful that I've got a great work ethic. Thank you. Thank you, Dad, for that. Um, but so when I, for, a lo for many years, I worked about 20 hours a week on the charity and 80 hours a week on my business, the financial advisory business. Um, and then we decided to hire uh, an assistant and then we hired a senior executive director. So now we have a full-time senior executive director running it. That's his job. That's made a world of difference because it's allowed me to focus on it from the 40,000 foot level and not the day-to-day. -day. I didn't have to find the 35 judges for this. Michael did that. Um, because I have, a, my, I have a technical department that works for me in the financial business, they're able to help build the website, help, help able to do everything for, that we need, technologically speaking, for the virtual outings. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, I've got a great team that really stands up and is spoken for and is committed to it as much as I am. And so I have a lot to be grateful for, Jackie, because if I had to do this 40 hours a week and run my company 40 hours a week, uh, something would have to give. I'm not sure I'd be married. Something has to give there. Yeah, well, I was going to say, when you said you do, we're doing 20 hours a week on the charity and 80 hours a week in your business, I'm like, something had to give because that's not sustainable. No, that's not. Yeah, you know, um, that doesn't leave time for you know, details like sleeping, much less having a marriage. Well, sleep is overrated. <laughs> So glad to hear you say that. It's been overrated in my world for a long time. I'm, I get up. I get up at about five in the morning because if I don't exercise at five in the morning, I won't exercise. So I, I do that. I'm at work by seven fifteen in the morning, uh, which is great. I get out of here and I'm home by six at night. Um, I was doing the charity on Saturdays, uh, coming in and doing another eight hour day for the charity. But now with an executive, now with Michael's our executive senior executive director, I haven't had to do that. Well, there we go. We love people who show up and make a difference. And all of the people who supported your efforts at your auction this last year, um, kudos to them. I am incredibly grateful because I see where this has a lot of power and potential and where there's a lot of synergy between you and some of the other speakers that have been some of the other people who are also running teen programs and the ability for them to follow in your footsteps, for them to look at how you're taking it virtually and maybe apply those systems to what they're doing. Because we can't have too many. When it comes to this kind of program, I don't think we can have too many. I stood up and hollered 
and said, you know, I'm a suicide prevention program and please be my competition. You know, please be my competition in a world of business that is afraid of competition. I'm like, please, come on, bring it on. Let's go. Let's <laughs> see who can save the most lives. Go ahead. I dare you. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was looking for. And what I ended up finding is that by being willing to host this show, you all are finding me now. You know, people are connecting me with people like you who have programs that have, you know, impact. And you've got a system in place for taking it broader. And I really appreciate that. So well, I appreciate what you're doing from your side. It's pretty amazing what, you, what you're doing. And you've got a great story yourself. You know, I think the hard part, Jackie, for a lot of us parents is to be grateful. And it's not something that works well in the United States of just being grateful and gracious. And, you know, I have to think, I go to the cemetery about every three weeks to visit my son. Uh, and I try to always end up with the words of being grateful that I had my son with us for 19 years. It's, it's not what it should be. It's way too short, but it could be five or 10 years longer than other parents did. And that's a hard thing to recognize. When somebody um, asked me, be, because the hardest thing I've ever done was talk about my own history as the mother of a, a teen suicide attempter. And one day it hit me. If 3,000 teens attempt to take their own lives every day, just in the U.S., that means 6,000 parents start to live the nightmare that I live. And that's a day, 6,000 parents times 365 days in a year, times the 20 years that I stayed silent is a hell of a lot of motivation. So that's what got me where I was willing to stand up and speak out was it wasn't about me, it was about all of the other people that I didn't want to have to go through what I went through. What would life be like, Elliot, if we really could make teen suicide a thing of the past? Well, think about if your child wasn't here now, since that episode, how your life would be different. Mm -hmm. So I look at my 19 year old, that would be 24 right now. Um, and I think, well, He'd be dating. He had a great personality. He'd be playing ice hockey for fun, maybe further than that. He'd be enjoying life. He was probably my most functional, socially socially functional child of the three children. Not that the other ones are not, but he definitely had the most friends. Uh, things would be very different in our life if he was around and dating and have, or serious in a relationship. Uh, so it's an empty hole. And if we can do something to not have parents experience that empty hole, then we've done something spectacular. Not good, not great, but spectacular. Just one less hole would make a difference. And that's what we're doing. I appreciate what you're doing, Elliot. That's an awesome way to look at it. It brings it down to what's really important, which is just one. All it takes is just one person deciding to stay just a little bit longer. 
and I'm hearing this over and over again, the injunction to stay. So giving people the tools that they need to manage life, and we are in a very com big compression right now. I mean, the stress of life has been amplified by the COVID cocoon. And how do you deal with the, I'm, well, you just told me, I was gonna say, how do you deal with, because every now and then, every time somebody says, thank you for what I'm doing, I, I struggle with the part of me that says, but I'm not doing enough. Now, and well, how do I know my phone rings? I get a text message. I get these stories of Jackie, my friend just lost her son. How do you handle that, Elliot? Because I'm, I, and maybe you haven't had that experience. Well, Jackie, I, I get calls all the time. Unfortunately, I'm on the list. And I talk to parents all the time. They reach out to our website, a brighterday.info, a brighterday.info. They reach me and they say, help, I need help. My child just tried to commit suicide or my child committed suicide, now what? And so I get those. Um, so I've tried to be a pillar of strength for other people. Um, it, 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 I just try to do that. I can tell you that it's difficult. I know sometimes talking about my son every now and then, I, you get you're filled up with, pain and I go to the cemetery and have a cathartic moment at the cemetery and that's how I pop. Um, but it's amazing now how difficult it is to watch movies where children are involved because if a, somebody has a son and they're talking to their son, then I'm looking at the picture next to my TV of my son who's not with us and I can't do that anymore. Or he was a sports nut and we would have been texting during the playoffs or during the Super Bowl or during the World, during the World Series about everything going on, and I can't do that anymore. And so it's that empty hole, that emptiness, and that sadness. But you put one foot in front of the other, and you just begin to move on. And I don't know another way to do it. I know that um, my son's mom has, uh, has really suffered, spent 15 years depressed and falling apart herself before she could get more of her act together. Uh, just couldn't fill that hole. Uh, so it is difficult for people, but you you do put one foot in front of the other, but the hole doesn't go away, Jackie. Yeah. The fear doesn't go away. And now I, I have two other children. I have 27 year old twins that instead of me worrying on a parent scale from one to two or three or four, no big deal. Like a lot of parents worry about their kids, no big deal. And well, I'm sure they'll call me tomorrow morning. That'll be fine. I know that Jake's mom and I go from zero to 10 in a blink of an eye and we're worried to death. And so I've had my wife call one of my kids and say, hey, call your dad, he's worried about you. And if dad, I'm fine. And normally you would just brush that off and no big deal. Most kids go through everything that my kids have gone through, but we don't have that opportunity to do, we just jump. So it sounds like post-traumatic stress disorder. It sounds Maybe. like that absolute triggerable moment. And that was what I was asking is, you know, how do you handle the, the fact that you've got that trigger and you now you put, 
Elliot, you have put yourself literally in harm's way. You've put yourself as a resource for these parents who are either facing the risk of losing their child or the reality of having lost a child. And as that, how do you take care of you in this? Well, Jackie, that's a great question because if you don't make yourself vulnerable, you're not gonna be able to help other people. And so there's a level of pain I've chosen to accept. I don't wanna get any credit for that or be a martyr, but I don't know another way to do it. Um, so you just, you know, I'm very thankful for my family and friends. I've got a great wife. Uh, she doesn't, when I just, if I text her or I call her and say, I, I need to go to the cemetery, I need this, she just go, we just go. Uh, or she just goes, or I just go. And, you know, mostly, mostly by myself, I need to be alone there. Uh, but she's very supportive. My kids are supportive. Uh, they have their own issues dealing with a sibling who died. Um, and a lot of times I'll be calling my brother or sister-in-law up when I leave there or one of my kids up and just say, I just want to hear your voice. So, you know, thankful. I do a lot. I go to the gym. I'm in a bit of an amateur chef. And so when I'm in the kitchen, I get lost in the kitchen. Uh, and I love to try new things. Most of them come out fairly well. Some of them are disasters. <laughs> I had one of those. Friday, I made two things Friday night for a party. One wow. turned out fabulous. And the other one was a complete disaster. All right. Uh, now, now you got to share. Okay. So what were the two dishes? And, and I'm, we're just going to guess which one was which in that scenario, because I'm curious. Well, my disaster were the macaroni bites. I made macaroni and cheese. Well, that's no brainer. Anybody can make macaroni and cheese. Okay. Then I refrigerated. Then I turned it into balls and put an egg wash and some panko crumbs around it, then deep fried it to serve macaroni and cheese balls. Um, Sounds good so far. Yeah, I, don't, I just couldn't get them small enough and tasty enough. The inside to be hot enough and they, they were okay. I was a little frustrated with them. But the second thing I made that did turn out well was lettuce wraps where I made, I, I combined uh, some sauteed vegetables, all different types of vegetables sauteed. And then I wrapped them in caramelized onions and then added another layer of pomegranate seeds on top of that. So we had like four or five layers of taste and those were just absolutely delicious. So every bite had a different flavor. Wow. Uh, so that one worked out well, but the other one was, you know, we threw by Saturday night, we threw those out. <laughs> yeah. How do you know that something's a failure? You don't keep the leftovers. It's all right. I won't make those again. We're okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So I hope at some point you share the recipe for the lettuce uh, wraps on, on your website or somewhere where we oh, can. Oh, thank you. Because I would love to have it. Um, I get very little time in the kitchen anymore. I'm very blessed that my guy cooks and that's what allows me to do the things that I do. The amount of support that I get had me doing a rave this morning on the most tolerant man in the world. And that's my guy, Mark. He's the most tolerant man in the world. He's not my children's natural father. And yet he's the one they call dad even though he's only been in their life for a very short period of time, given that my children are now in their thirties and forties. The power of having someone who can support you no matter what is not to be underestimated. And so I appreciate the fact that you shared that your support system is your family. And that's a wonderful place to be, Elliot. Well, thank you. It doesn't work 
to put in the hours, to put in the effort, to put in the time without a good support structure. And I've never asked them for support. They just gave it. Oh, isn't that an interesting thing? That's a wonderful place to be. Yeah, it, it really, really is. So we've been talking about you know, teens for a brighter day. And so my brain is going, what happens next when teens have put, because now I'm, I'm going, wait a minute, there's an open loop. All right, teens put in their video. I want to apply for this. And then they start getting shortlisted and shortlisted and down to a final winner. Are you all broadcasting the, I mean, you said there, there was a YouTube channel for this and I'm sure we can get to that through your website, but is there a broadcast of the final like five or something where um, this comes down to? I'm, I'm interested in the process and then I have another question. So it's a combination, Jackie, of YouTube and Zoom. It's a combination of the two. We can't, because they're teenagers and that we're getting parental permission for them to be seen because you have to do that. Um, yes. We are going to make sure that those videos that we have are not inappropriate. And that's why we can't let those videos be live. Uh, they're teenagers. They're going to do something inappropriate. I did stupid stuff in high school. You know, that's how it is. We've all done stupid stuff in high school and some of it lasts forever. <laughs> so they submit the, they submit these and then we put these out on YouTube. We, we crop them and fix them and we put them out on YouTube. They can be seen on our website, www.abrighterday. Yeah, we're dropping that in the chat info. for everybody and it'll be in the show notes as well. Great. And uh, it's just great. And so, and then we contact them to let them know that they came in first, second, or third. Uh, everybody gets an award of some kind. Uh, the first one gets... On the first show, $100. The other two just get the award. But the first three are going to be brought back for the grand finale in May and June, in which case the winners, the winner gets $1,000 mm -hmm. towards college. The second place gets $500. The third place gets $250. Everybody got an extra $100. It's just a great show. But the interesting part about this is you could be the shyest guy in the world, shyest lady, young lady in the world, excuse me, shyest person. <laughs> And you could put that out there and people will rate them and tell you and they'll vote for you because it's a good talent. Mm -hmm. And because you're shy and not a ham, then you don't have to get out there and be live and be embarrassed because that's not your personality, but you can still win. And you get your cousins, your relatives, your friends to watch this and vote like America's Got Talent. And then we've got judges who are judging them. We really give the judges 51% and a popular vote 49% because it's gotta be more than just popular votes. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the winners, they, cause you've had these now one a year. So you've had four. Well, we've been doing, we've been doing the talent, the live shows. Mm -hmm. We've now gone into the virtual world. Okay. So how many shows have you done total? About 13. All right. So you've got 13 first place, 13 second place, 13 third place. Right. And so out of those 39 te teens that are now growing up, any responses from them as far as what they've gone into in college? Because I'm assuming some of them have gone on to college. Well, we've got a few notes. I don't have many, I don't have great stats there, but we've got a few notes of people that 
they've wanted to go their, their own route of understanding what causes depression, social work, and psychology. The notes are just majors, you know that. Yeah. Um, I don't know where they'll go with this, but what they've gotten is something more intangible from that, Jackie. They've gotten empathy. And it teaches that, and empathy is don't underestimate empathy from humans towards oh, other humans. Huge. But they've understood that bad things happen to good people and they don't have to be caused by bad decisions like drugs or alcohol. Because my son who committed suicide was on neither drugs nor alcohol and it had a clean tox screen. But sometimes bad things happen to good people and we need to be empathetic and sympathetic and not judgmental, but help. That's a huge, huge statement to be able to be non-judgmental in a world that judges everything. And that's a huge, huge skill. So I am absolutely delighted that you brought that up because if the kids who are coming into this program don't take away anything other than that one piece about empathy and being able to be non-judgmental even for one moment, even just with each other. I mean, if we could get teens to not judge their parents, that would be a miracle. But just to get them to be non-judgmental with their peers for even one moment would make a huge difference in the experience that they have as teens. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. I really appreciate it, Elliot. All right, last minutes. If we could introduce you to one person in the world, who would you want to be introduced to? Oh, that's a really difficult question. Let me give that a moment's worth of thought. But I would say the president of the United States. Cool. Forgetting parties, forgetting who won and who doesn't, doesn't didn't win, I don't really care. But mm -hmm. introduce me to somebody that would have a huge impact. Got it. There we go. All right. So over the course of our expanding this, there is likely to be someone who is connected to someone who can make that happen. And that would be a conversation that would be worth having. And I would love to hear about it. Me so too. <laughs> that expression is that 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 um, invitation is now out into the universe and we will let it bounce around our communities. If you were going to say one thing to the parents who are raising teens during this time of the COVID cocoon, what would you tell them? Have better communications with your teen. Talk to them. Don't talk at them. Whether you're going to talk about whether they got their homework done or going to college. You're always going to talk about these subjects, but are you asking them how they're doing mentally? Are you asking them how they're feeling about not seeing their friends? Are you asking them how their friends are feeling about not seeing them? Are you asking them how they can get together with their friends in some form that satisfies this incredible social need that teenagers have that right now is not being met? Get that social IQ going, emotional IQ going, rather than just worry about if they got an A or a B or a pass or a fail. There's more to it than just grades. Wow. There's more to being a parent successfully than just your kids' grades. And starting a conversation 
about how they feel. Those are wonderful words, Elliot. Thank you very much for sharing them with us. And thank you for being here. Thank you, Jackie, for everything you're doing. And for everyone watching, stick around. The ride gets more interesting from here. <laughs>